Let's bow our heads as we pray. Awesome God, we are small, but thou art mighty. I thank you for all of your loving care since we last were together. I pray that you would, through your spirit, bring a blessing to each person who is here today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. With wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Awesome, I think, is a word that that applies uh, very well to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's sometimes, sometimes it's an overused word in in our vocabulary, but it certainly applies to God. When we think of God in his totality, he's kind of, if I may use a a rather homely illustration, he's kind of like an exquisite diamond that has many facets or facets, if you prefer to pronounce it that way. Because there's so much to his character and his holiness, it's hard to encompass all of the characteristics of God. We're going to attempt to uh, illustrate a few of those today. And I think we can never praise him adequately for all that he is, all that he stands for, all that he does for us and has plans for us. I think of this talk today as kind of an inspirational lecture. I hope you'll be inspired. I I also want to encourage the parents. I have some special quotations to share that go along with our subject today. So come along with me as we begin this service of praise. We're going to talk about God in a number of categories, if you please, starting with God the artist. Try to think outside the box this morning. Think about God creating a rainbow, painting a lily, coloring the sunset sky, uh, fashioning the feathers of a of a western tanager or a painted bunting. Have you seen the yellow and pink and blue fish when you go snorkeling? I hope that some of you have had that experience. When humans conceive a child, I wonder if God says, I'll make this little boy with uh, black hair and blue eyes. I'll make this little girl with red hair and green eyes. The Tsar of Ages 313, the great master artist has taken thought for the lilies, making them so beautiful that they outshine the glory of Solomon. Well, we see lovely white lilies and yellow ones, orange ones, and so forth. Sons and Daughters, page 16, if God, the divine artist, gives to the simple flowers that perish in a day their delicate and varied colors, 
how much greater care will he have for those who are created in his own image? End of quote. God is really into beauty, isn't he? God makes beautiful people, beautiful birds, majestic trees. You know, beauty does not fit at all into the evolutionary framework. It just doesn't. It doesn't fit at all. They have no answer as to why it is there or how it happens. If you are watching the news on April 21, you may have seen the quad rainbow. A quad rainbow. Um, it was kind of interesting. I sat up and took notice of that. Um, the double rainbow was reflected off the surface of the water. So it made it look like four rainbows. What great things are we going to see when we get to heaven? Things that will be surprising, I'm sure. God is the epitome of innovation. The ultimate creativity resides in our Father God, our Creator God. God loves colors. God loves variety. When we become creative through the power that he gives us, when we write something, when we build something, when we capture an image on film, it makes us feel good because we have created something, haven't we? Have any of you taken a pottery course? Well, I haven't. But uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning with verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house. And behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you. In my hand, O house of Israel, at one, <clears throat> at one instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turns from their evil, I will repent of the evil I thought to do unto them. Ministry of Healing, page 471. The potter takes the clay and molds it according to his will. He kneads it and works it. He tears it apart and presses it together. He lets it lie for a while without touching it. When it is perfectly pliable, he continues the working of making it into a vessel. He forms it into shape and on the wheel trims and polishes it. He dries it in the sun and bakes it in the oven. And the author 
makes this statement, let us remember that while the work we have to do may not be our choice, it is to be accepted as God's choice for us. Whether pleasing or unpleasing, we are to do the duty that lies nearest. Our plans are not always God's plans. Amen? I think when we sin, God is very disappointed with us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. You wouldn't blame God if he were to turn from us. But because he's our compassionate father, he does not turn from us, does he? He reworks the clay, and we are new again. Another statement from the pen of inspiration says, he does not cast worthless stones into his furnace. It is valuable ore that he refines. Now for a few moments, think about God as an architect. He has a blueprint for each of our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. Let me be so bold as to suggest blueprint plans. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God has plans for everyone here this morning, including the little ones. In 1997, when we moved to Ontario, uh, we developed our own floor plans. We drew them ourselves which the architect took and, and created blueprints. The process gave us a lot of satisfaction, and the house is still standing, although it's no longer ours. Through his spiritual gifts, God endows his beloved children with a variety of talents and abilities. To a woman, he gives the gift of intercession, intercessory prayer, she works behind the scenes. A man may be endowed with discernment. He can correctly distinguish a spirit of truth from a spirit of error before it is apparent to others. A grandmother demonstrates hospitality while her husband has re received the gift of leadership and so on. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And Christ gave this commission to his disciples as his chief ministers, the architects who were to lay the foundation of his church. That's from Eight Testimonies, page 14, end of quote. You can read the account of how God selected two men for the work on the tabernacle in the 35th chapter of Exodus. I will quote from the Bible commentary a few words. Although there were ingenious men among them in Egypt, they had not been instructed in the curious arts which were called for in the building of the tabernacle. 
They knew how to make bricks, but they didn't understand how to work in gold and silver. Then God himself explained how the work was to be accomplished. He signified by name the persons he desired to do a certain work. Bezalel was to be the architect. This man belonged to the tribe of Judah. Well, this man was an excellent metallurgist. He belonged to the tribe of Judah. He, and he, God, hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab of the tribe of Dan. These two men he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver, of the cunning workman, of the embroiderer, and of the weaver. And you've read about the sacred furniture to be built for the tabernacle service, the glorious curtains of the roof with shining images of cherubim. Is God a lover of the beautiful or what? I believe he is. We know that these, these gifts that the Spirit gives to us are custom made. Did you know that? You don't just receive randomly something from the Holy Spirit. Each talent, each spiritual gift that he doles out to us are custom made just for you. God knows you intimately. He knows your, your tendencies and your preferences and your abilities and what you will be able to do for him. <clears throat> that being true, there's no reason for anyone to be jealous of somebody else's gifts because they were given to that person Specifically, that's what they needed to serve God. You have a different set of gifts, so there's no reason to wish for the gifts of another. And when you use your gifts in a humble manner, sometimes you realize, thank you, God. Thank you for using me there. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 149, Psalm 149. I'd like you to think about God, the musician, the musician. God loves to hear us to sing and to play instruments skillfully. I enjoyed the way the, the uh, guitar was played here this morning. Psalm 149, starting with verse 1 and going down to the first part of verse 6. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their 
mouth. We get an inkling of the importance of, of music in the mind of God. An inkling of the importance of musical instruments. When, when we look at the, the headings to the Psalms, no less than 75 of the Psalms have as a heading to the chief musician. And these numbers are, in, are absolutely outstanding. David appointed 38,000 Levites for the temple service. Not 3,800, 38,000. 24,000 as priests. 6,000 officers. 4,000 doorkeepers. I don't know how many doors they had, but they had 4,000 doorkeepers. And 4,000 musicians. Wow. Wouldn't that have been something? Not even the Mormon tabernacle and and choir and orchestra came come close to this number. And David made the instruments, and he wrote the songs for the sacred liturgy. And we know something about Bach and Beethoven and Mozart, but did you know David was also a great comp composer of music? also a great composer of poetry. And harps are not the only musical instruments in the Bible, are they? When the ark was brought into the completed temple, we read about the 120 priests with trumpets. One trumpet can be pretty loud. Can you imagine 120? blasting at you. But uh, that wasn't the only big sound because there were cymbals and other instruments. You can read about that, Second Corinthians 5, verse 12. There's a very special verse I'd like you to turn to in the little book of Zephaniah, near the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah? Zephaniah, chapter 3 and verse 17. Do you have it? How many have found it? This is a text that I like to read and I like to think about. Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. And I want to say, wow. God is going to sing us, sing us a solo. Are you ready for that? He will joyce, rejoice over you with joy. He will joy over you with singing. Far from being a vengeful God. What an amazing God he is. 
In Revelation 15, verse 3, I read, They, the victorious saints, sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. This song of of Moses takes up takes up twenty one verses in Exodus fifteen, and these victorious saints not only sing the song of Moses, they also sing the song of the Lamb. I could be wrong, but I don't think that we have to memorize these things in order to sing them when we get to heaven. Um, Neither is anything said about practicing a harp before we get to heaven. We're, We're going to be given the harp. God is able to give us, grant us immediate uh, skill to use these instruments. Praise his name. Now this next paragraph is for the mothers of small children. Ellen White compares and contrasts the work of a mother to that of a musician. Ministry of Healing 378. There is a God above, and the light and glory from his throne rests upon the faithful mother as she tries to educate her children to resist the influence of evil. No other work can equal hers in importance. She has not, like the artist, to paint a form of beauty upon canvas, nor like the sculptor to chisel it from marble. She has not, like the author, to embody a noble thought in words of power, nor like the musician to express a beautiful sentiment and melody. It is hers, with the help of God, to develop in a human soul the likeness of the divine. Once more, it is hers with the help of God to develop in a human soul the likeness of the divine. What a responsibility that is. Mothers, we'll come to fathers in a moment. The next category is God, the author. Well, God inspired the writers of the Bible. Those 40 men who wrote the Bible were inspired by God. They were his penmen, not his pen. And with his own finger, he wrote the Ten Commandments on stone. Quoting, the author of nature is the author of the Bible. Creation and Christianity have one God. I love that, don't you? This is from Councils to Parents, Teachers, and Students, 395. God the author. God and angels are, God and angels have written or are still writing other books. 
these books may be very different from the books that we know here on earth. And if you're taking notes, here are some references. There is the book of death, where the evil deeds of the wicked are recorded. Early writings, 52. There's the book of life, which lists Christ's faithful children and good deeds. Each person is given a page. How about that? Can you say amen? Amen. Desire of Ages, 313. There's a book of remembrance, which records the words, the testimonies, the deeds of the faithful. Four testimonies, 330. There is a book of experience. This one records God's dealings with man. Christ Object Lessons, 125. There is a book of immortal fame. Faithful mother's names. Are you anxious to see that? Adventist Home, 328. If you like to listen to Joe Pearls, he has uh, sung a song. In this song, he sings, there ought to be a hall of fame for mothers. I love that. Well, there is a hall of fame for mothers. God is keeping it. And then there is a book of sins containing the sins of those who profess the truth. Four Testimonies, 384. But most of all, Christ wrote his love in crimson red at the cross. And today he writes his likeness in our human hearts. God the sculptor. We think of granite, marble, perhaps limestone. Perhaps you have seen Half Dome, the granite formation God formed in Yosemite. Perhaps you have seen the four presidential faces engraved on the face of Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. Then there is the 14-foot marble statue of David by the sculptor Michelangelo. A curiosity of mine is the limestone ascension rock seen at the William Miller Farm in New York State. How many of you have been to the William Miller Farm? Can I see any hands? It would be nice if uh, some folks from the Belleville Church would uh, decide to be uh, volunteers there. It's a great place to work. My wife and I have done it for probably 10 different times. Why did God place the limestone rock at that particular place? Did he know that people were going to be standing on that rock in 1844 when they were expecting him to come? Maybe. Perhaps you've been to the General Conference building and you've seen the, the uh, bronze figures sculpted by Victor Issa 
that are now standing in the general conference lobby or the white statue standing on the Loma Linda University grounds. Our characters, though, they're not chiseled from stone, but they're infinitely more important than any statue, aren't they? Again, for parents, this is for mothers and fathers. The parent's work is compared to that of a sculptor, quoting from Child Guidance 476 and 7. How earnestly and perseveringly the artist labors to transfer to canvas a perfect likeness of his model, and how diligently the sculptor hews and chisels out the stone into a counterpart of the copy he is following. So the parents should labor to shape, polish, and refine their children after the pattern given them in Christ Jesus. The artist's work is small and unimportant compared to that of the parent. Do you agree with that? The one deals with lifeless material but the other deals with a human being whose life can be shaped for good or ill. This is God's work, isn't it? Dads are important too. God the creator. This time I'm gonna focus on the, not, not gonna focus on the wonders of the night sky. I'm not an astronomer. I'm not going to uh, talk about the ability God gave to the birds to migrate or the mothering instincts given to mammals. Instead, let us praise our creator this morning for some of the marvels of the human body. My main employment was the teaching of human anatomy and physiology. And so based on that, uh, you're going to be getting a small part of a couple of lectures here, okay? Bear with me, please. I wanna share a few things about the heart and the circulation of blood. Our hearts, about the size of a fist, make a fist, and that will show you about the size of how big your heart is, okay? Our hearts pump 100,000 times every day, they pump a thousand gallons of blood every day through 60,000, now this isn't feet or yards or meters, 60,000 miles of blood vessels in a human being and more if you are overweight. Now this crimson blood, the crimson blood that comes from the heart and from the head enters into the superior vena cava at the top of the heart. At the same time, there is bright red blood that comes from the lungs and enters uh, into the heart as well. Now, 
where does it enter? It enters into a cavity called the atrium. There's a, there's a right atrium, there's a left atrium, and then those two atria contract at the same time, driving the blood down into the ventricles. Okay, there's a left and right ventricle. Okay. Um, the heart, of course, is the great muscle. It starts contracting before you're even born. It does it all day, every day. Contract and relax, contract and relax. Blood from the thin-walled right ventricle is pumped to the lungs, which is a short distance, while blood from the thick-walled left ventricle pumps the blood via the aorta to the entire body except the lungs. And when you get downstream a long distance from the heart, the blood vessels get smaller and smaller and smaller. The thin-walled capillaries allow only one blood cell to pass through at a time. Red blood cells are shaped like a donut, except there's no hole. At the lung, carbon dioxide is, is given off a waste product. At the kidney, excess water is given off, along with other waste products. Okay, which organ could be called the great filter? Pardon? I'm not hearing the answer I'm looking for. The kidney. The kidney is the great filter in the body. Here's a question for the children. Thinking back to creation week, which was created first, the human kidney or the kidney bean? That may be a tough question even for the adults. Kidney bean, that is absolutely right. That was created on which day? Third day. The human kidney was created on the sixth, sixth day. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> okay, now we're going to go to the kidney for a few moments. From the largest artery, which is called the aorta, blood enters the renal arteries, being delivered to the right and left kidneys. At the capillary level, which is called the glomerulus, positive pressure forces water out of the blood into a little rounded thing, microscopic thing called the capsule. The capsule leads into the renal tubule. And of course there are many, many thousands, tens of thousands of these things in the kidneys. Around these renal tubules, there's a network of small capillaries to reabsorb the water. Now, we said that a 1,000 gallons 
of blood passes into the kidneys every day. That's a lot of blood. Of course, it's being recycled many times every minute. If this, after the blood gets into the capsule, goes down into the tubule, it's reabsorbed by all these other capillaries. If that didn't happen, we would be going to the bathroom constantly. Okay? So this is the original um, recycling system. Governments did not invent recycling. God did through the kidney. That way, most of the water stays in the blood. Most of the water stays in the bloodstream. <clears throat> in a quick review, there are three things that happen in the kidney. First, there is filtration. The blood is filtered. Water leaves the kidney for just a short time. Step two is the reabsorption, okay? So the, the water that comes out of the little glomerulus, it is reabsorbed into the blood vessels and um, is recycled thereby. Then there's a third step, and that is secretion. The body wants to get rid of certain waste products like urea and uric acid, and so those are discharged as well from the body. It's a wonderful organ. And if we drink six or more glasses a day, it keeps, it keeps the, health, the kidney healthy and happy. Praise God for his great wisdom. Finally, and much more important, God, our Redeemer and Savior. God is omnipotent. What's that mean? What's that mean? All-powerful. God is omniscient. What does that mean? Thank you. All-knowing. And God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is holy. He is the embodiment of love. He is the eternal, everlasting Father. and so many more things that we don't have time to discuss today. Only a God could hold all of these honors and more. Only Christ could be the fulfillment of so many prophecies. Was Jesus Christ who he claimed to be? Of course. Unfortunately, there are some people in our church today who deny the existence of the Trinity. I don't know if you're aware of this, but James White denied the existence of the Trinity. I'm not sure if he gave up that belief later on, but at least in his early ministry, he, he believed that. Um, but of course, Christ, while he was living on this earth, claimed that he was co-equal with God sent by God the Father on a mission to this planet. 
to rescue us who were under Satan's ugly plan. And the Bible validates Christ's claim that he is God. Forty inspired writers confirmed his lordship. Then there is the testimony of his father, as recorded in Matthew 1, 7, 3, Matthew 3.17. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And of course, there were the heavenly angels that proclaimed at his birth and his resurrection and his, at his ascension. There were the testimonies of those who were close to him. The disciple John wrote, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And others included Thomas, Peter, and the thief on the cross. Even his enemies knew who, who he was. The Roman soldiers, the centurion, and many Jewish priests, as well as the testimony of demons. You can read about that in Luke 8 or Matthew 8. And then there's the testimony of history. All of these things pointing to Christ as God. All but one of the disciples were tortured and killed because of their firm belief in Jesus Christ. They would not have been willing to die for a hoax or an imposter. And then we can see the rise of Christianity from 12 followers to almost 2 billion today. That in itself says quite a bit. And, of course, our numbering system centers on Christ, B.C. and A.D. In closing, I'd like to make a little appeal here. Years ago, there was a popular song entitled, Love is a Many-Splendored Thing. You may remember that if you're older like I am. This talk is kind of organized around that same theme, but I revised the title a bit in keeping with the sacredness of our God. And we've only scratched the surface so far as God's interaction with us is concerned. What is my appeal to you? I would be ecstatic if you were to embrace our loving Heavenly Father in a fuller and a richer dimension than you have had heretofore. He who has given his all for the salvation of the human family, how can we not respond in total surrender to absorb his character and to engage all our powers to complete the mission, the great commission that he is waiting for us to do? in his name. This is my prayer this morning for you folk here.